All right, Jabosai, good morning. Let us begin. I want to start by thanking our sponsors, our Tamil sponsors for the month of Nisan. Excuse me, Steve and Terry Zinn for dedicating the Schumann Drushels this month in honor of the birth of their first grandchild, Adinsi Hachbaum. Benjamin and Elise Wall from Eretz for dedicating the Shi'urim this month in honor of those who make the Shi'urim accessible beyond the confines of the base Medrash, specifically Moshe Abramson and Jeremy Lassen, Shimi and Batsheva Messing in honor of the Bas Mitzvah of their daughter Laila, and Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating the Sherman Drushos this month, in memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zechariah, Leah Bas Avram, and Cyril Bas Rabdov. We also thank our week of learning sponsors. Ira Miriam Grossman, in gratitude to Hashem for providing the ability to return to the base Medrash to davening and to thanking those who made davening and dafyomi accessible over the course of the pandemic. To thank our dafyomi sponsors, the Plunka family, in commemoration of the art site of Yoshua bin Nun. Quite beautiful. I suppose with that, we thank all of our sponsors for their ongoing generosity and dedication. All of the Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, all of the Simcha, Simir Tzashem and should be perpetuated. And above with that, let us begin. So today's daf is Yud Ches 18, and we are picking up Emir Tzashem on Yun Zayin Amud Bey's 17b. We're picking up at Ba'on Kumi Rabbi Ila. It's uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 17 lines up from the bottom. So we'll say, so remember again, we're in the really fascinating sugya concerning the kalim, the utensils of the Beis HaMikdash. And specifically now what we were focusing on was the, or were the, what well, was called was the Shulchan. We'll discuss, we'll transition to were the Shulchanos in just a moment. So the Gemara begins with an interesting question. So we'll say, so remember again, under normal circumstances, what would happen? They, they would bake the lechem upon him. We discussed in the Mishnah already that, remember again, for the lechem upon him, there were two tables in the ulam, two tables in the antechamber, right? Quick review. What were the two tables made of? Mar- well, right. Well, the truth is machlokes, right? Table number one, was it silver? Was it marble? And table number two, gold. Right? So remember again, this does not refer to the primary shulchan, what we call the kli of the shulchan in the base. I mean, this was more like, I guess what they call, for lack of a better term, a prep table. Right? So when you took the loaves out of the oven, what did you put the loaves onto? So according to the Mishnah, you put it onto a marble table. Why a marble table and not, and not silver? In order to ensure that the, in order to ensure that there's no spoilage or anything else that's going wrong. According to the Brisa, we even use a silver table, even though it heats up, because again, the whole, uh, the whole parasha of Lechma Panim is one of Nisim, one of miracles. So again, one doesn't have to worry about spoilage. You then would put it on the regular Shulchan, which we'll call, we call the Shulchan, the Kli inside of the Beis HaMikdash, that would remain there from Shabbos to Shabbos. It would then be taken off, and apparently, according to the Mishnah, would then be put on a gold table in the Ulam, for distribution. The child of the Gemara is dealing with over here is, what happens if you did not take the lechem off the shulchan? What happens, come Shabbos, for whatever the reason, you didn't bake new loaves, or you just didn't exchange the loaves. So what's the halacha? The hayasham lechem, I say a little bit differently. If you failed to bake new lechem upon him, and therefore you have no new bread with which to replace the quote-unquote old loaves, can you leave the old bread on the shulchan 
or not. So the Gemara says, Amrlei, Lon Ksevin Asat Allah Shulchan Lechem Panim Lefanai Tamit, Lechem Panim Afilu Pasal. The Pasik says that you have to go ahead and leave Lechem Panim on the table, even if it's Pasal. Even if it's Pasal, meaning there is a commandment, there is an obligation to have Lechem on the table. And the way the Gemara understands it is, even if the only Lechem you're going to have is last week's bread, then Halacha some bread is better than no bread. And even if technically it's the bread that belongs to our previous week, halacha lamais, you leave it on the shofar. So also, I'll say something interesting. This halacha is brought down in the Rambam. So this is in Hilchos Timidin Umusafin, Perek Hey, Halacha Yud Gimel. So here the Rambam is outlining the entire, the entire process of Lechem Aponim. We're not going to go through this whole process, but suffice it to say, he says as follows. Shafilu Nishar Halechem Im Habazichin Ala Shulchan Kama Shabasos. Even if for some reason you left the lechem on the shulchan for some number of weeks, ein bekach klum. Now, ein bekach klum means it's not an invalidation. Not an invalidation. So we'll say, you, which is really incredible. So we'll say, what do you see from here? There is an incredible moser. What's the incredible moser? That the most important thing in the eyes of the ribano shalolam is consistency. Consistency even if it lacks a little bit of freshness. What do I mean by that? You know, in the ideal, in the ideal, in my avodah Hashem, I want to be consistent and I want to be excited. I want to be existent and I want to be hot, right? I want to be existent, I want, I want to be consistent, but I also want to be fresh, right? That, that, that's, that's the goal. What happens if you can't have both, right? So we'll say, so th- this, this is a shayla. What happens if you have to choose between consistent, consistency, and inspiration. Which one is more important in the eyes of the Ribbono Shalom? So you see from here that clearly the answer is consistency. Consistency is more important than inspiration. The ability to show up day after day, the ability to be lefonai tamid, right? Venasata esalechem, venasata ala shulchan lechem panai lefonim, I'm sorry. Venasata ala shulchan lechem panim lefonai tamid. Tamid. Tamid is the ikr. Tamid is the ikr. Consistency is the key to spiritual success. I, it's not as fresh. I, if I'm, you know, I, I'd be so much better. I'd be so much better if I just had to be on three days a week, right? And I'd be so much better if I could just, three days a week, then I could really give it my all. The Moshe says, it's okay. It's okay. I'll take 70% if you're showing up 70, seven days a week. As more than giving me 110% three days a week. Better to have last week's lechem on the shulchan than to have no lechem at all. When the, the goal, of course, is consistency with inspiration. But if you have to choose between one and the other, klape shmaya, it's all about consistency. And I both said, by the way, that's not a shocker. That's true in every single relationship. Think about this for just a moment. You might be Zoha to win the husband of the year award, you know, whatever it is, three three days out of the year, right? For for argument's sake. Those three days aren't the most important. It's every single day that a person shows up to the relationship. It's every single day that a person is consistent. It's every single day that a person tries to live up the expectations. Consistency is always more important than inspiration. Incredible, incredible. Gemara and halacha. Hashkafa and halacha. Gemara goes weiter. Asar shulchanos, asa shlomo. Shlomo Melech made 10 shulchanos. 
So also going to see Shlomach did this interesting thing where he made additional utensils. We're going to see they weren't used. They weren't used. But rather he used them for, for a bit of adornment inside of the base of Mekdash. So he made ten Shulchanos. Five to the right and five to the left. We'll define what that means in just a moment. So the Gemara says, So are you telling me that he made five more? Five more that went to the south and five more that went to the north? Well, that can't be because the Shulchan itself is only kosher when situated in the north. So what does it mean when it says five on the right and five on the left? Rather, what it means is as follows. So Shalom HaMelech made ten new Shulchanos. And what he did was, there was only one Shulchan that was used. And that was the Shulchan of Moshe Rabbeinu. What, what, what Shlomo did, just to beautify the Mikdash, is he made ten more Shulchanos. And essentially put the Shulchan of Moshe in the middle of them. He put five additional to the left of the Shulchan of Moshe, five additional to the right of the, of the Shulchan of Moshe, all on the northern side. But say that's one of the images I sent you out in the, uh, in the WhatsApp chat yesterday. Again, you, you, you could visualize it. I don't think it's that difficult to visualize it, but you could see it. You could see it. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, This is how we said before. Nevertheless, although there were ten Shulchanos, Moshe Rabbein, excuse me, Shlomo Amalek, in fact, only used the Shulchan of Shlomo. I'm sorry. Shlomo only used the Shulchan of Moshe to go ahead and arrange the Lechem upon him. Shnei Amar, Esa Shulchan Asher Alav Lechem upon him. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Akulon Hayim Esadir. No, not true. Shlomo Amalek would, would actually arrange Lechem upon him. On all of the Shulchanos, Shnei Amar, Esa Shulchanos, Va'alehem Lechem Ha'panim. So we'll say so. A bit of a historical debate. So here's what we know. We know that Shlomo HaMelech fashioned 10 more Shulchanos, 10 more, for a total of 11 Shulchanos. They were arranged to the right and to the left of the original Shulchan. The Machlokas is, did Shlomo HaMelech arrange Lechem HaPanim on all 11, or just the one that Moshe Rabbeinu made? Good, that's the Machlokas. So the Gemara goes back to Tani, Mizrach, Umarav, Hayyunusin, Abos, and here's what's interesting. Now there's a Machlokas about how the Shulchanos themselves were arranged. So Mizrach, Umarav, Hayyunusin, Divrei Rebbe. Rebbe holds that they were arranged from east to west. So we'll say, I think I sent this out yesterday, yesterday in, uh, on, on the WhatsApp chat as well. So just to, to orient yourself, remember again, when you walk into the Beis HaMikdash, you're walking in east. Right, you're walking in. You're walking in east. Right, you're walking to the Kodesh Hakadoshim. So, according to the first opinion that says that the Shulchanos were arranged from east to west, essentially, if you could imagine, they came out as a line from in front, from we'll call it in front of the Kodesh Hakadoshim, extending outwards. That's the first opinion. However, the Gemara says, "Be'Rabbi Shimon Omer, Safon V'Darim Hayinusun." Be'Rabbi Shimon says, "No, no, no. They were arranged from north to south." Manda Omer Mizrachu Ma'ariv Neicha. So we'll say, according to the opinion that says they arranged it east to west, that makes sense. Because then really what ends up happening was the Shulchan was actually situated on the northern side. It was arranged east to west, but it was arranged on the northern side, which makes sense because that's the puzzle that seems to indicate is the positioning of the Shulchan. And therefore, all 11 of them are fit for service. Ella Vigimara says, however, Kulurin Lashiris, Madar Safan Bedarim, Nimsa Shulchan Bedarim, 
Um, so the Gemara says, it, but according to the opinion who says that it was arranged from north to south, then ultimately it turns out that the Shulchan is situated towards the southern side. But the Shulchan is not fit for use unless it is situated on the northern side. So we'll say the Gemara ends off with that kasha. So it turns out now, two fundamental machloksim. Number one, were all 11 tables used for the Lechem HaPonim? That's machlokis number one. And machlokis number two is how were they arranged? Were they arranged from east to west? East to west is the easy way to go because halacha lamaisa, then everything works beautifully and then all 11 shulchanos are actually fit for use from Lechem HaPonim. Or they arranged north to south, Again, that, that raises a particular, a particular issue because the social will be situated in towards the south, in which case none of them are really fit for useful Lechem HaPalim. Good. And the Gemara ends off with that kasha. Top of Yud said, says the Gemara. Tani shulchan hayinosan mechatsi abayis velifnim. Also, this is actually quite beautiful. The shulchan was situated from what called mechatsi abayis velifnim at the halfway mark of the interior of the Beis HaMikdosh, but lifnim. Pulled in a little bit towards the interior. I don't think I sent you this. I know I didn't send you this picture. But again, I, I think you, you could, uh, I'll send it a mirror session after the shear. But, um, you, you could see, just if you could imagine, you draw, oh, you have, you have a picture in there. Good. So you, you, you could see, you just draw a straight line across the interior of the base of Mikdash. And interestingly enough, we're going to see all of the Kalim. So you have the Shulchan, the Mizbech, Hakitors, the Golden Altar, and the Menorah are all pulled within the halfway mark of the interior of the base HaMikdash, closer towards the parochas. So the Gemara says as follows, so, And the Shulchan itself was, so in the, in, the, in the, we'll call it, inner half of the base HaMikdash, and it was situated near the wall, pulled away from the wall to Amas. So, so it was actually, the, in fact, the Ramam brings down the actual space was two and a half Amas. So the Shulchan itself was two and a half Amas away from the wall, of the, the northern wall of the Beis HaMikdash. Beis Amas Umechza. So, Klape Safan. And it was ultimately, again, as we just said before, situated in the north. Umenorah, Kinek Dabadaram. The Menorah, was exactly opposite the was exactly opposite the shulchan. So we'll say so again. We're, we're within the inner half of the base of the base hamikdash interior, what we call the kodesh. You have the shulchan situated on the northern side, pulled out two and a half amas from the wall. You then have the menorah on the opposite side, the southern side, the southern side, also pulled out two and a half amas from the wall. So the Gemara says, So interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the, the Mizbeach, which was the golden altar, was exactly at like the halfway mark of the interior of the Beis HaMikdash. And the Gemara indicates to us, And it was pulled a little bit Towards the exterior, the kulan haya nasan mishlish habayis velifnim, and I will say all of them were situated within the first one third of the interior of the base hamikdash. Good. Asra menoros asa shlomo shlomalech made ten menoros. Shnemar vayas es menoros hazav eser kimishpato vayitim behechal Hashem hey miyamin vehemismo. Good. In Tamar, so the Gemara will say now the Gemara revisits part of the past conversation. In Tamar, Chamish Petzafon, the Chamish Pedarum. 
it can't be that when it's that, it means that he put five menorahs in the north and five menorahs in the south, because after all, the Torah, the Torah tells us, The menorah itself is only fit for use when situated in the south. So what does it mean when we say that five were to the left and five were to the right? The Chamish Mismolar, as we said before, in fact, all of the menorahs were really situated on the northern side. On the northern side. Five were to the right of the menorah of Moshe Rabbeinu and five were to the left. So both sides, the same conversation we had by the Shulchan is the same conversation we're having by the menorah. So amazingly enough, amazingly enough, Shlomo HaMelech made these additional utensils. Ten additional Shulchanos. Ten additional menorahs, but essentially anchored them around the primary Kliya. Once again, the Gemara says, as much as Shlomo made these 10 additional menorahs, ultimately Moshe only kindled the menorah, excuse me, Shlomo only kindled the menorah of Moshe. So the Gemara says again, so, so apparently these additional Shulchanos, these additional menorahs, were made for decorative purposes. But once again, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, the same way we had an opinion. It was also the same way we saw before that there was an opinion who held it was the same thing. It was Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda. Same Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda who holds that they that they put lechem upon him and all the shulchanos also hold also held that they kindled all of the menorahs. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer al kulon hayamavish neamar es hamenoros venerosehem levaram kemishpat kemishpat lifnei hadavir. So both say so. Ultimately, again, quoting over here the pasuk. The pasuk from from yeah from Divrayim. There's a menorah saying, "Or same the varim kimishpat lefnei hadavir zav sagor." Okay, so the Gemara says as follows: Vahaperach vaneros vahamelaki vahamelaki vaham vahamelak vahamelakim. Sorry, zavhu mechalos zav hein kilu zavu shel shlomo. It's changed to shlomo from Moshe. So I will say, interestingly enough, the these additional shulchanos and these additional menoros took up, so this is actually specifically referring to the menorahs, used up all of the gold of Shlomo HaMelech. So we'll say, this is actually quite dramatic, because remember again, the menorah itself was solid gold. was solid gold. Shlomo HaMelech is now making 10 more menorahs. So the Gemara says that the construction of these additional menorahs literally used up all of the gold in the Beis HaMikdash. I'm sorry, in Shlomo HaMelech's treasury. Listen to this. So when making the menorah, Shlomo would take 1,000 kikars of gold, which is a lot of gold. He would put it into the core. I don't know what the technical, you know, where you smelt gold. Uh, what is it? Like a, a core is translated as a cauldron. I don't know, there's probably a more technical term for it. You put it into the core. So we'll say, this is incredible. So you would take a thousand kikar of gold and you would come out essentially with one pure kikar. One pure kikar, right? Which was the kikar ultimately used for the construction and fabrication of the menorah. Kikar zahav tar asa osa. Because we'll say, the Pasik says, you shall make the menorah 
one pure kikar. So the Gemara says, so, so now you understand, by the way, when it says that Shlomalach used up all of his gold to construct the menorahs, lav dafka that the menorah needed all of that gold, but the menorah had to be one pure kikar. Well, apparently, to get one pure kikar, I guess there's a thousand to one ratio. Although it could be that the Gemara is being a bit hyperbolic over here as well. But a thousand kikaros produce one pure kikar of gold. So the Gemara says, Tanya, Amar Rabbi Amar Rabbi Yossi, Be Rabbi Huda, Maisa Bemenoras Azav Sha'asa Moshe Bemidbar. The same thing happened with the golden menorah that Moshe made in the Midbar. Vahisa Yisera Dinar Zahav. What happened? And Moshe went ahead. So interestingly enough, the 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 menorah that Moshe Rabbeinu went ahead and made in the midbar measured a certain amount of gold. But amazingly enough, no matter how many times he put the gold into the cauldron, the gold of the menorah was never diminished. So we'll say, now we have like a machlokis and metzias. You're telling me over here that Shalmalach used a thousand kikar to make, to, make a, to make a menorah made of one kikar. And you're telling me then that when Moshe Rabbeinu would continuously smelt down the gold, no gold would go missing. So which one is it? Right? Does gold lose some of its mass when it's, when it's smelted? I don't know if that's the right word for gold, but right, when it's smelted or not. Which Gemara says something very interesting. The Gemara says, V'yeos adlo yokum albarde, or barre, havachasir sagin mindu. Kaim albarre, lo chasir kolom. Both say this is incredible. What the Gemara says is as follows. When the gold still has its impurities, the more you smelt it, so the more gold comes off. But once you reach the level of pure gold, no matter how many times you smelt it, it doesn't lose any of its mass. So when the Gemara over here talks about the fact that the, that the menorah of Moshe Rabbeinu, the gold used for the menorah, no matter how many times it was smelted, it wouldn't lose any mass, that's because he had already taken off all of the impurities. It was, quote-unquote, pure gold. So pure gold, no matter what you do with it, will not diminish in mass, no matter how many times you put it into the cauldron. Whereas apparently the thousand kikar of Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately went ahead and continuously shrunk, that amount shrunk, until he got to one kikar, which was pure gold. So we'll see, I'll just point out something very interesting about this as well, which is, which is, you know, we'll say this, this Yisod. Well, this, well, we'll leave the smelting of gold. There's a lot to say about that also, about what happens when you take something with impurities and you expose it to fire. Just our way sometimes of looking at Nisyonos in life. We all have our challenges and we all have our difficulties. We all have our cauldron. But understand that no one, no one wants trials and tribulations in life. But understand what the cauldron of adversity does to you. Right? The cauldron of adversity has a way of taking away my impurities. The cauldron of adversity has a way of making my gold Pure, and sometimes it takes a lot of adversity, and sometimes it takes a lot of challenge, and sometimes it takes a lot of difficulty until the gold, until the one thousand kikar becomes one kikar of pure gold. But what I'll also end off with with this particular sugya, we'll say is what's in, what I found very intriguing is this notion that Shlomo HaMelech made, you know, all of these decorative utensils, right? He made 10 shulchanos. He made 10 menoros. So if you like Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Huda, that he was kindling it, that he was kindling it, then I understand why he did it. But if he wasn't kindling it, 
right? If it wasn't kindling it, so then what, what, what is that? You know, there are so many better ways one could potentially use that gold. What, what, what is that about? And, and, and more than that, we'll say, doesn't it even look strange in the base of Mikdash to have 10 unkindled menorahs or 10 empty shulchanos? But I think it goes back to what we said before, which I will say, what Shlomo Melech was saying, I think was teaching us was an incredible lesson, that it's better to be a menorah that shows up in the house of the Ribono Shal Olam every day, even if you're not lit. People like to be lit, right? But sometimes even if you're not lit, right? Even if you're not kindled, it's better to be there even if you're not kindled. It's better to be a shulchan that shows up every day even if your shelves are bare. Even if there's no lechem haponim. Because they both say, the Yisod HaShem I think was trying to teach us was once again, like I mentioned before, the sort of consistency. Success in life and success in Ruchnius is all about showing up. It's all about being consistent. It's always about being Lifnei Hashem day in and day out. And even if you're not lit, and even if the shelves are bare, and even if there's no flame, and even if there's no Lechem him, but you're there. Every single day, you're sitting in the Mizrach, you're sitting in the Mayrav, you're sitting in front of the Yibam the Fanai Tamid, Shalom Alech was saying, that's the eager to success. Incredible. Bosei Mishnah. So Bosei, we're now into all of this, uh, this numbering, right? So remember again, it's all about the 13. We saw the 13, we saw the 13 before the 13 prostrations. Now the Mishnah says, Shlosha Sar Shofros, Hayu Bamikdash. There were 13, I'll say now, Shofros, we've seen this before, means, Tzedakah like boxes. Right, collection collection boxes, thirteen different shofros in the base of Mikdash. Vikasav Aleyan Tikl so we'll say now what were they labeled? Here we go. Tiklin Chadatin, which means new shkalim, tiklin atikin, old shkalim. And I will say now, if you take a look for just a moment at the carbon ha'id on the left-hand side, an important, an important explanation here. So the carbon ha'id writes as follows: Tiklin chadatin. What does it mean nushkalim? So this we know. I will say shebo nosten shikle shanazu kishamagias manatshuma hagizbar motzi called shkalim shebeshofar benoson lishkas. So I will say. So just to understand this. Remember, up until now, when we were speaking about the collection of the machzus hashekel, we were speaking about the shkalim being deposited in a lishka in a chamber. In a chamber, right? And we spoke about, again, the process that Gizbra would go in, make the withdrawal. Remember how many times a year? Three times a year, right? With a basket that held three saw. We went through all of this already. Interestingly enough, what the Mishnah is introducing us is there was another piece to this process, which is people would often come and they would just drop off their, their machzah shekel. Now, where would you drop it off? You're not having people have general access to the lishka, to the chamber. So rather, what would happen over here is there would be a tzedakah box, uh, what we call a shofar, a shofar, and I was remember again we spoke of this already before, right? I think we spoke of this before, right? That uh, that the shofar is called the shofar because the way that the box was constructed was narrow at the top, wide at the bottom, like a shofar. This way, people could put in, but they cannot take out. So you would have people come to Yerushalayim, go ahead and deposit their machzis hashakel. Then what would happen? This is what the carbonate is describing. Then the gizbar, the temple treasurer, would come empty out those collection boxes, and then put that in the lishka. Then he would put that in the chamber. Then, say, then what would happen afterwards? Then later on, they'd make the withdrawals from the chamber. So the carbonate either goes on. He says, So that was the first collection box. 
The second was Tiklin Atikin, old Shkalim. What was that? I'm Tiklin Karben Aida. The Asheni Kasuv Alav Tiklin Atikin. Umishalo Hivi Shiklo Bishana Zu, maybe Bishana Sha'achakach. The Nosan the Shofar. So we'll say, so remember again, Tiklin Atikin, right, was old Shkalim. What does old Shkalim mean? So we'll say, it's interesting. So we, we, we thought that usually what old Shkalim meant in our previous context was Machtsis HaShekel of this year, which was then left over to the next year, right? We basically just collected a whole amount and then it used all the money. What happens to that surplus funds? Those become tiklanatikin. Here the Gemara is using, the Gemara is using a different context. Tiklanatikin means, what happens if I forgot to give my machtsis a shekel last year? Right, I just forgot. 5780 was a little bit of a crazy year, right? So I forgot to go ahead and give my machtsis a shekel. So remember, we'll say, once you're obligated to give money to the base of Mikdash, you're never free, right? So I have to give it, but that goes into a different fund called Old Shkalim. So Karbina Ida goes on, he says, So we'll say, again, that goes into the Sheyare Halishka fund, right? What we call the leftovers. So remember again, we'll say, we saw that there's a discussion about what to do with that, right? Is that used for Badek Maybe again, general repairs, or Kate Samis sacrificial offerings. Okay, back to the Mishnah. So, right, we have number one is Tiklin Chadatin. Number two, Tiklin Atikin. Number three, Kinin Vigozle Ola. So, we'll say number three and four, right? Kinin, bird pairs, bird pairs, and Gozle Ola. So, we'll say if you take a look again at the, at the, at the, um, at the, I'm sorry, the Karbina Ida, says, Vagimo Kosalov Akinin, right? The third, the third collection of acts had bird pairs, Vain Torin Gidolim, Vadalit Gozle Ola, Vain Bene Yonakitan. So, we'll say the first one that said, bo- that said bird pairs, that was really, that was used for turtle doves. The second one was used for pigeons. Uh, so, Good. All right, so the Gemara goes weiter. We'll see again. We'll see what all of these are used for in the base, in the, in the Gemara. Next, Eitzim, there's another one that was labeled Eitzim, which was for wood for the base, Amikdash, Levona, Frankincense, Zohav Lakapores. Now, this is very interesting. So, Zav Lakapores literally means gold for the lid, right? But what it means is gold for clay shares. Gold for clay shares. Gold to be used for service utensils. Shisha Linedava. And the remaining six were just general donation. General donation. So, we'll say on it, it just said Nidava, just said donation. Tiklin Chadatin Shabachal Shanashas. Well, so now the Gemara is going to explain each of these. So Tiklin Chadatin, the, the Pushka marked, the Shofar marked Tiklin Chadatin. That was Shabachal Shanashana. That was for the Machsas Shaka collection of each and every year. Atikin, old Shkalim, Mishalo Hevi Eshtakiv, Shokel Shanahaba. Someone who forgot to give Machsas Shaka last year will bring it this year. Kinin, what's Kinin? Hain Torin. Ultimately, again, they refer to tur- turtle doves, pairs of turtle doves. The gozle ola, what's gozle ola? Hain bene yona. These are young pigeons. But kulon ula olos, the rabbi yuda. Rabbi yuda holds all of these birds are offered up as olos. The chacham the chum kinen echad chatas vi echad ola. In the kinen, in the kinen shofar, one of the birds is offered up as a chatas, one of the birds is offered up as an ola. Gozle ola, kulon olos. But the gozle ola, which were the Bineyona, which were the, which were the young pigeons, they were all offered up as all. So we'll see, we'll see what that machlokis is about in the Gemara. So we'll say, so Haomer, in, in fact, if you take a look, um, if you take a look, 
No, all right, we'll leave it. We'll leave it for now. Just want to say that machogus of Hudun the Rabbanon about what the birds are being offered up as. Just remember, Rabbi Huda holds everything as an Ola, which we'll say effectively is going to mean Rabbi Huda holds that all birds, all birds that are offered up from that shofar, that are offered up from that collected money, are pretty much all offered up as Nidavas. The Chachamim hold that no, 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 the bird pairs could be offered up as obligatory offerings as well. That's the machogus. We'll see, we'll see it in the Gemara. Let's go back to this. The Gemara says as follows. Um, if a person says, I hereby pledge the value of wood to the base, should not give less than two blocks of wood. So we'll say, whether that means you're actually donating wood itself, or you're donating the value of wood, minimum donation of wood is two blocks of wood. Levona, person says, I hereby pledge frankincense to the base, frankincense you cannot give less than the value or the amount of a kometz, right? Remember, said the kometz is the three fingerfuls that the coin scoops up, the levona as well as the mincha with. Zav, person pledges gold. You can't give less than a gold dinar. That's a coin. Shisha, so the shisha and the dava. So we'll say, then remember, the remaining six shofros were just labeled nedava. Shisha and the dava. So the Gemara says, nedava mahayu osimba. What would they do with it? Lokhinba olos. They would purchase olos, offer up olos, shame, the meat would go on the mizbeach, va'oros lekohanim, and the hides would go to the kohanim. So this is one of the ways the kohanim benefited from the nedava pushka. Zeh medrash darsh yoyada kohen gadol. This was based on the drush of yoyada the kohen gadol, who said, who quoted the pasuk over here from from vayikra, asham hu ashom asham lahashem. What does this mean? Zaklal. Any monies that ultimately is coming as a result of chatos and a result of asham, ultimately again should be offered up as an ola. Now, I'll say, what does this mean? Take a look at the carbonaida just for one moment. Asham hu, or asham hu, asham asham la hashem. The kashirish le sefa da asham hu mashma bavyasu yehe, kilchasu, shunecha le koanem, va asham la hashem mashma, shakalu la hashem. What, what the Gemara is pointing out to me, or what Kabbalah is pointing out, is the Pasik itself is inherently contradictory. Because when it says Asham la Hashem, it indicates the whole thing should be offered up on the Mizbeach. But a regular Asham, yet the meat is consumed by the Kohanim. So what's going on over here? The Darash Yoshua Kohen, sorry, Yoyada Kohen, Koshu Moser Chatas Vasham, Yilakach Baoser Hamoser, Olos. So we'll say the beauty is if you offer it up as an Ola, everyone's happy. The buster goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the hide goes to the Kohanim. So there's a part for the Ribbon Olam, and there's a part for the Kohanim. Back to the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, there's a part that goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's the meat, and there's a part that goes to the Kohanim, that's the hide. The Omer, Kasef said, "Quotes over here, Gemara. Quotes over here, the positive from Alachim. Kasef Asham, the Kasef Chatos, the Yuva Beis Hashem, la Kohanim Yehiu." Bosa will see exactly what we do with that particular positive. Good. Says the Gemara. Tanya, I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Lo Haya Shofar Shalkinu B'Yushalayim Vneatar. So we'll say, remember again, we're focusing now on the point of contention in the Mishnah, which was the shofar for the Kinin, right? The shofar for the bird pairs. So Rabbi Yehuda said, Rabbi Yehuda said in the Mishnah. That all of them were olos. All of them were olos. 
right? The Chachamim said no in the Kenan, in the one that was marked Kenan, one of the birds, remember, I can both say, birds are always offered up in pairs. Shabbi Hudis said they were all offered up as olos, donative karbanos. The Chams say no, they were offered up as obligatory karbanos, which means one would be offered up as a chatas, and one would be offered up as an ola, to which the Gemara says, There was no, if you take a look actually at the Karbana, Rabbi Huda holds of Osei that there was no such thing as a shofar which collected money for obligatory bird offerings. Right? What's an example of obligatory bird offerings? So again, the Karbana Eda writes, Kigon Zav, Zava, Yoledes, Shiyitnu Lusochamos, Kashim Shayu Shofros, Likan Nidava. So I'll say that Yehuda holds that in the Mishnah, when the Mishnah makes reference to the shofar for Kinim for bird pairs, those were donative Karbanos. Nidavas. Nidavas. There is no collection, there is no shofar for obligatory bird offerings, like for a Zav, Zav, this. Why not? Both say this is incredible. Because there's a concern of Tarovis, of mixture. What does this mean? Shamatamos achos, venimtu demei chatos, misos meuravos bahen. Because both say, listen to this. What's the concern? The concern is, let's say you have a situation of, we'll call him Ruvain the Zav. Ruvain the Zav comes along, he puts in his coin, right? He puts in his money into the, into the shofar for obligatory bird offerings. He's a Zav, he needs his tara. And then Abel say, what happens? He dies. He dies. What's the problem now? What's the problem? Abel say, you can't offer up. So a Zav has to offer up a bird pair. One of those kavanos is a chatos. You cannot offer up a chatos on behalf of someone who has died. So now what's the problem? The problem is you have Ruvain's money mixed into that shofar. Right? And therefore, again, potentially it would invalidate all of the money. Because now you have the mechatos mixed in there of a chatos that you cannot go ahead and offer, thereby potentially disqualifying all of the karbanos. That time we learn, Isha Shamra Harea Laikan, Mevia Demekan, Venos Nabashofar, Vaocha Amadez, Vaocha Les Bakachim, Veino Hosheshes, Shemanis Atzel Bohen. So we'll say, so now listen to this, Vein Coin Hoshesh, Shema Demekatos, Mesos Muravos Bohen. So we'll say, but one second. So according to Abihuda, according to Abihuda, the whole issue why you can't have a chauffeur for obligatory bird offerings is because maybe someone like a Zav, a Zav Ayolad is going to drop off their money and then what's going to happen? They're going to die. They're going to die. And then what's going to happen? Then their money, which is obligatory money, is mixing with the rest of the money. You have no idea which is their money and it passes all of the money. Take a look at the Karbanaida for just a moment. Before you turn the page, I'm sorry. Back on What's going to happen to all the money in the shofar? All the money gets thrown into the Yam HaMelach. Right? Why? Because you can't offer up a chatos on behalf of someone who's dead. So it would disqualify all of the money inside of the shofar. But Dimar says, one second. We have another price. I'm sorry, I read it quickly. If a woman says, I am hereby obligated to go ahead and bring a bird pair. And what happens? Here the price says explicitly, she brings the value of the bird pair, deposits it in the shofar, amud beis, vocheles bekachim. And I'm say she could rightfully assume that her carbon has been offered. She can go back now and eat kachim. And she, has, she doesn't have to worry that maybe the Beis Hamikdash is not going to offer up her carbonos. And I'm say the coin need not be concerned that what? That what? That maybe she died. See, I'm saying what the Gemara thing over here is 
l'shema meis lo chayshinon. We're saying, in general, people have a cheskas chayim. Right? We assume that people are alive. Until when? Until when? Until they're dead. Right? It's a good, it's a good premise to operate in in life. And we'll say, Gemara says, we don't assume people just die. We don't, we don't assume that. So the Gemara says the coin could go ahead and take the money from the shofar, and he could offer up the karbonos, and he, and he could assume that the, anyone who deposited the money is still alive. To which Sigmar says, you're right. In general, we don't assume that people die. We don't assume that people die. Rather, ki kamirin, so we'll say, which, which by the way is a powerful yisod. What, what does that mean? That doesn't mean in life, you have to presume that people are alive. In life, you have to, like, you, you, the chazaka is, things are good. The chazaka is, things are good. And you have to go about life with an approach that things are good, until you know that they're not. It's, 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 a, it's a life outlook, right? For some people, the chazaka is, everything is terrible. Everything is terrible, unless you could prove to me in a demonstrative fashion that something is good. Otherwise, the chazaka is, it's bad. The Gemara says, you can't live life that way. That's called the cheskas meis, right? That's the chazaka that everybody, everybody's dead. We have, we have, we have a cheskas chai, right? The chazaka is, life is good. Life is good. The chazaka is, things work out. The chazaka is, everything is beautiful. Until, you know, the is not there. Sometimes the chazaka is eroded and sometimes things happen. Okay, then you pivot. Then you pivot. But the proper approach to life is the chazakas chayim, positive outlook, positive approach. So we'll say, you're right. The concern over here is we're, we're generally not concerned that somebody died. With our concern, Rabbi, who this concern is, what happens if I know I'm the coin? I know that Ruvain deposited money in, in the shofar for Kenan, right? Because he was a Zav and he needs his purification. And then what? And then what? I know he died. I know he died. I went to his Leviah. I, I, I know that he died. So now I know he's dead. And I know his money is mixed in over here. Now we have a problem. Because now I have Chata's money of someone who's dead mixed into the shofar with all this other money, which effectively disqualifies all of the money. I said, Gemara says, but one second. There's a simple eight step, we'll say. Breira. Breira. Just separate out money, the equivalent of one bird pair, throw it in Telamelech, and say it should be retroactively clarified that the money I separated out was what? Was the money that, I, that, that, that Ruven deposited. To which the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda less lay Breira. So he'll say, ah, that's fine if you hold the Breira. Rabbi Huda doesn't hold the Breira. He doesn't hold the retroactive clarification. I've also said this is really quite fascinating. Therefore, Rabbi Huda says, you know, if you have to bring an obligatory bird pair, you need to deal with that directly with the coin, right? Or, or whoever's in charge of the carbonos, right? You, there's no such thing as a drop box, right? You can't deposit money for that because the stakes are too high. Because again, Rabbi Hudo doesn't hold the Breira holds. If I know that someone who deposited money into that chauffeur died, effectively all of that money becomes disqualified. All of it becomes disqualified. But I will say, now we understand. So therefore, Rabbi Hudo holds that for the... Shofar for Kinim, it's only Nidavas. It's only, it's only voluntary offerings, no obligatory offerings. But I will say, now I do understand the position of the Rabbanon. So I, why aren't the Rabbanon concerned about this? How, this is still a legitimate concern. So how did the Rabbanon deal with this concern? Breira. See, I will say, that's the beauty of Breira. See, the Rabbanon will say, of course it's a concern. But the beauty of it is, all I have to do, if I know that Ruvain died, all I have to do is separate out the value of one bird pair. I have to discard that into Yam HaMelach, but I could salvage the rest of the money. Incredible machlokas. Good. Vector. Rabbi Yossi, Bar Rabbi Bun, Om Rabbi Ba, Bar Mamo, Boy Omar, Hariya Lai Eitz. So we'll say if a person says, I hereby pledge upon myself, take upon myself to bring wood. To bring wood. 
So we'll say in this case a little bit different. See, if you look at the Lashon of the Mishnah, the Lashon of the Mishnah was, Hare Alai Eitzim. Eitzim. See, we'll say in general, when you are pledging wood to the base of Mikdash, you pledged two pieces. Because two blocks of wood was the minimum amount of wood that they were placed on the Ma'aracha, on the pyre, at any particular time. Let's say a person says, Hare Alai Eitz. I take upon myself, I take upon myself wood, a, a, a piece of wood. So what is the status of that statement? So if you take a look at the carbon Aida, right to the right hand side, if I take upon myself to bring an eights, so am I just obligated to bring one block of wood? Or maybe eights automatically means what? Eightsim. And I'm automatically, and as soon as I pledge wood, I'm by definition obligating myself to two blocks of wood. Interesting, Shiloh. So the Gemara says, maybe Gizer Echad. So the Allah is, you only have to bring one piece of wood. Amra Blazer, Masnisa Amra, Kevan Kain, Shezek Karban Bifne Atma, Bezek Karban Bifne Atma. Because Rabbi say, even though again, the minimum amount of wood that goes onto the pyre is two blocks of wood, each block, each block, is looked at as its own individual carbon. So although the ideal is to pledge two blocks of wood, if you pledged one, you're only obligated to bring one. So the Gemara says, As we learn, Ultimately, again, the, the, the Gemara says that if you had two Kohanim, right, two Kohanim, and each coin brought one block of wood. So the fact that each coin is carrying one block of wood indicates to us that each block by itself is sacrificially significant. The carbon either right? Shnaim shnei koanim b'shnei b'shnei biadam shnei gizer eitzim biad kol echad gizer echad shmamina shakol echad karm mifniatzmo. The fact that you didn't have one coin holding two, but each coin held one, indicates to us that even one block of wood is sacrificially significant. Carbon the rabos esa eitzim, and ultimately again when the pasuk says carbon. Carbon comes to tell us that halacha lamaisa, the eitzim are sacrificially significant as well. So, we'll say, so therefore, halacha lamaisa, again, this isn't, we'll say, these, these are important, you saw those to know, because and of course, who's not going to want to donate to the Beis HaMikdash? So you're going to say, right, so ideally you're going to say eitzim, but if you just said eitz, the Gemara indicates to us that the obligation is only for one block of wood, because even one block of wood is significant. We'll say, what an incredible musr as well. Even though the minimum unit of, of wood for the Mizbech are two blocks of wood, you know, even if you can't do something perfectly or completely, right, every, every little bit of activity is, is, is important and, and significant. So even though, again, for the Ma'aracha, you can't burn a Ma'aracha with less than two pieces of wood. So therefore, you would be tempted to say that therefore one piece of wood is halachically or hashkafically or spiritually insignificant. Says the Gemara, no, every block of wood Every little maisa, every action, every tenua, every movement of growth is significant in the eyes of the Rebbe Shalom. Rabbi the thickness of these pieces of wood was an amo. Ba'ama shochakas, and I will say that was with what they call a spread out amo. And I will say, we spoke about the machlokas by an amo, about five tfachim, six tfachim. This is a further machlokas about when measuring the tfachim that make up an amo. I will say, a tefach is, is, is really the four, four finger, right? The width of four fingers. So I will say, so the shayla is, when you're going and you measure that, do you measure that with a closed fist or with a closed hand? Or like with your fingers a little bit more open. That's the difference between what we call an ama shochekes and an ama geduma. 
Amma Shochekes is like a widely spaced Amma, which is really made up of widely spaced Tfachim, versus an Amma Giduma, which is a closed Amma, made up of t- clo- cl- tightly closed Tfachim. So the Gemara says, So Ovion Amma, the thickness of these pieces of wood, is an Amma with an Amma Shochekes, but Akron on the left is an Amma Giduma. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Choni Bushim Rabbi Ami, Kamin Tortani. Actually, the piece of wood was like a tortani. I will say tortani is if you have a scale. If you have a scale and you hang the two scales on a piece of wood, that piece of wood upon which you hang the scales, that's called the tortani. The actual area of the ma'arafa, I will say the actual pyre itself on top of the mizbeach, was an area of an ama by an ama. Therefore, the pieces of wood themselves were made up of a smaller ama in length. In length. So, we'll say, the Gemara just points out over here that the measurements for all of these things was an ama. Then, Allah say again, yeah, the ama, the yisod, the yisod is the base. Ama of the Sobe, which is the ledge. Ama of the Karkov, which we'll say Karkov was, was the area upon the top of the Mizbech that the Kohanim walked around. Right? Remember again, if the pyre itself is an Ama by an Ama, you need an area around the pyre in which the Kohanim have the ability to walk. Kronos, the horns were an Ama Maracha. Good. So the Gemara says, and the Maracha, of course, the pyre itself was an Ama as well. Levona lo yifchotz mikoma. So also we saw in the Mishnah that if you pledge Levona, right, if you pledge Levona, you don't give less than a kometz. Namar kan askara, the namar lahalan askara. So we'll say, so just to understand the kan and the halan, if you look at the tiklin chalatin for just a moment, left-hand side, namar kan, hainu belevona habayim mincha. So we'll say, so levona is brought two different times. Levona is brought as an accompaniment to the carbon mincha. And it's also, Levona is also brought with the Lechem Hapanim. So it says, Kan, Kan means with the Mincha. Ne'amar Kan Askara, V'ne'amar La'alana Askara. It says, V'ikarba Mincha Askara, Nesavar Lechem Hapanim Askara, Ma'askara Ha'amar Lahalan, Melo Kometz. Just like by the, just like by the Shulchan, by Lechem Hapanim, it's a Kometz. Av Askara Ha'amar Lechem Melo Kometz. So to the, so to the Levona that's mentioned, there's also a Kometz. I by the shulchan by lechem upon him. You're actually offering up two kamitzos. So maybe you think by mincha you also have two kamitzos. The paradigmatic kometz was learned out from what we call the minchas chote. So we'll say this was a mincha, but this was a sinner's mincha. Now the sinner's mincha was someone who, who didn't have money. It was what's called the carbon olevioreid. It's a carbon whose, whose value depends on your, your wealth. Just like by the Minchas Chote, if you bring a deficient Kometz, it is possible. So to over here, a deficient Kometz will be possible as well. So the Gemara says as follows. So it's actually very interesting. When bringing this Kometz, we'll have to stop over here. We'll pick up answer with this discussion. So we've established that if you donate a Kometz, you have to bring, I'm sorry, if you donate Lavona, you have to bring a Kometz. We'll say, what's the Shaila now? What's the Shaila? Who's Kometz? 
I do say, remember again, the size of a comet is fundamentally dependent on who's taking it. So how do you, so let's say, I don't need a comet, I don't need Levon to the basement, so I have to bring comets. Whose comets? Is it my comets? Is it the Cohen's comets? If it's the Cohen's comets, which Cohen am I using to, to go ahead and establish the size of the comets? Amir Tashem to be continued tomorrow. How are you?